Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that today we have sensed your presence here with us as we've worshipped you, as we've welcomed you here. And Father, I know that there are many, as they come through these doors, they are carrying burdens, Lord, and they need your very specific touch. So I pray, God, that as you have moved in worship, you will move through the preaching of your word. May each heart be opened to hear it, anointed to receive it. And God, we will give you glory as you bring about your plans and purposes in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's great to see each of you here today. We're so glad you're with us. Let me start with a question. Have you ever faced an impossible situation? I yeah, once, twice, probably more than once. You know, I've been a professor professional counselor now for about 12 years, so I've actually heard a lot of impossible situations. Parents who are grieving the loss of a child, people that have lost loved ones very unexpectedly. Sometimes it's being blindsided by an affair and then an unwanted divorce. Other times it's people just living in emotional and physical sexual abuse and they're trapped in these relationships. They, they can't see a way out. And other times it's addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, or gambling. And there is a desperation to get out and an attempt to get out, but they're unable to break the compulsive cycle. Sometimes it's just people in a generational curse, what seems like a generational curse. They're just repeating what they've seen in dysfunctional relationships, in self-destructive behaviors. And when you're in situations like that, it does feel impossible. It feels impossible. My brush with the impossible started early in life, as Pastor Mark mentioned. My childhood was just turned inside out when my dad died and my mom became an alcoholic. There was so much rebellion in our home. We became homeless. We were in foster care. And I can tell you, in my field of psychology, we call those kind of things adverse childhood events because they, they, they are often an indicator of dysfunction to come. But when you're living in adverse childhood events, you don't call them things like that. You call it pain. You call it suffering. And at the ripe old age of 14, I felt like that little kid that's standing on the edge of the ocean with the waves crashing and just trying to stand up, to stay up, and I couldn't do it except for God. Except for God, he came and rescued me. It was an invitation to church, to this church, where I heard the salvation message, where I accepted the Lord, and do you know the trajectory of my life, the direction of my life changed. And now, 
And now I completely identify with the Apostle Paul as he writes in the prayer of Colossians 1. He says, You, O God, you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and you have brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Praise God. Does anyone relate to that today? Praise God. Praise God. He has brought us out of the dominion of darkness. So, if you are facing obstacles today, if you are facing obstacles today, then this message is for you. This message is for you because God is with you, He is for you, and His grace is enough for you. He has a good plan and purpose for your life. I am a testimony to that, and so are many in this room. When we think of obstacles, we can think of what we just saw or what we just heard from the book of Acts. You think of this new church, these, these men who are trying to establish a new church, and immediately there is persecution. The apostles of the early church, they continue to be obedient even when this persecution was upon them. Many of them, as we saw, were beaten, not just once, but multiple times, sometimes all in one month. Can you imagine? Thrown into jail. This became a regular occurrence, and we know, of course, that many of them also became martyrs. Yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians experienced boldness, declared the truth, and were empowered through God's grace. They were not focusing on their circumstances. They were not full of discouragement, questions about the impossibility of their situation. Instead, they kept their focus on God. And as a result of that focus, men and women were saved, were healed, there were many miracles, and the mission of spreading the gospel to all the earth was unstoppable because it was part of God's salvation story that has been written not only in the past, but is still being written today. Amen? Still being written today. So number one, God calls us to do the impossible. Have any of you ever felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something, and the very first thing you felt was fear? Right? You know what? Anybody, anybody else? There are some liars in the room. <laughs> no, because here's the truth. God will speak to us and say, I want you to share with this person. Or, I want you to join this ministry and serve. Or, I want you to give this offering. And immediately, you, you just feel fear. You think, I can't do that, Lord. I don't want to do that, Lord. I'm afraid I cannot do that. So there's this kind of a paralyzing effect of hearing the voice of God but not being able to act on it. Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. God knows that our fear will not get us through danger. Our fear will not get us through danger, but love does, and the sound mind will, and courage can. Courage, after all, is not the absence of fear. It's the will to persevere, to keep pushing through, to hang in there, even in the midst of opposition. Now, the Apostle Peter is kind of a case study of a person hiding in the shadows, gripped by fear, and then transformed into a powerful, courageous leader. If you ever want to do an interesting Bible study, look up Peter, because he went through not just one or two transformations, he went through a lot of them. 
when Jesus first recruited him to be a disciple, here's Peter. He's a rowdy, rough fisherman. I probably imagine his talk was a little rough. Uh, certainly what's recorded in the scripture indicates that he was kind of full of himself, kind of arrogant, very bold, very boastful. And he was even that way after he'd been with Jesus for three years. When the, the Last Supper happens, imagine you've been with Jesus three years, you're sitting around the table, and he announces, I'm going to be crucified. I have to leave you. I have to be crucified. I'm going to die for mankind's sins. Well, Peter heard that and immediately jumped up and very boldly announced, Lord, I will go with you. I will go to prison for you. I will die with you. He's so bold. He's so ready to lay it on the line. And Jesus, who knows all of us, sees right through that statement. And what does he say? He says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Ouch! That's a rebuke, friends. <laughs> I don't know if the Lord's ever rebuked you, but that's a rebuke. He was telling him, I know what you're going to do. You're not going to be this bold man you say you are. And in fact, as the night went on, Peter did deny him. He did deny the Lord. He went and hid. And then when Jesus was crucified, he was still hiding. When the resurrection happened, Peter was so filled with shame. I don't know if you've ever had a touch of shame on your life where you feel like the Lord wouldn't even want to be in the same room with me. That's what Peter was feeling, so consumed with fear and with shame. And the Lord reached out to him in love and forgiveness and not only forgave his sins, but he restored him to ministry. And what we are seeing here in Acts, we see Peter on fire. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter is emboldened. He is ready to do what he once said he would do. He is a man who has been changed. So think of the bold words that he spoke. We must obey God rather than human beings. That's not a fearful person. That's somebody who's ready. Somebody who's ready. And, you know, Peter and the other apostles could not stop talking about what they had seen, this resurrection. They had seen it. They had heard it. They knew that this is what the Lord had done. And now they were going forth to proclaim this message. They were empowered to speak about it. And here's the point of application for us today. What are we compelled to declare? We heard what the apostles were inspired by, this truth of the resurrection. That was their truth. They were going forth and proclaiming it. What are we proclaiming? Who or what are we listening to that influences us the most? I must confess to you, um, myself included, we must be among the most distracted generation that has ever lived. Um, we have so many voices coming at us, bombarding us all the time, demanding our attention, that, you know, we as human beings, even, one-on-one -on -one with one another, we have a hard time connecting sometimes. I don't know the last time you went out with a friend or a family member, had a meal, maybe coffee, that somebody wasn't distracted by a buzzing or a beeping or something coming over the phone. Am I right? Yeah, we are, we are incredibly distracted. But do we take time, friends, to turn off those distractions, 
to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us daily. I love it that Pastor Mark almost always ends the service by that prayer for all of us. May we be led daily by the Holy Spirit. May we seek his guidance daily. But it's not enough that he prays that for us. We need to be doing that. You know, some of us wouldn't think about going to school or to work or wherever we go, whatever we do, without checking Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, maybe the sports, maybe the headline news. We've got to find out what's going on in our world, right? We need to know. I'm not saying that's bad or wrong. I'm just saying that's what we do. Because that informs us a lot about who we are and what's going on in our world. But what about checking in with the Holy Spirit? What about taking that time to make sure you know what the Holy Spirit has for you this day? Who he wants you to speak to? How he wants you to be in your world? We've got to take that time to check in with him because that's where we find obedience. When we're checking in with the Holy Spirit, he's not going to lead you astray. He is not going to lead you astray. And we can see how this applies to us as it does in this passage. We have to desire God. We have to be obedient. And then we are empowered then to walk with God's plans. God does the impossible, friends. He does the impossible for obedient people led by the Holy Spirit. So if you want to be a part of seeing God do impossible things, plug in to him. Number two, God empowers us to be unstoppable. The more resistance, threats, and violence that came to Peter and the apostles, the more unstoppable they became. Now that seems a little illogical, doesn't it? You would think that as they kept getting beat, uh, as they kept getting thrown into prison, they would say, okay, I think I've done this enough. Um, I'm just going to go live in peace. That would be probably most people's fleshly response to such oppression. But that's not what happened. The early church, we know, grew exponentially when it was being persecuted. It grew tremendously during times of persecution. And many Christians, including people in this room, including people in this room, would probably be able to testify, as I can testify, that God will often bring us through difficult, even terrible circumstances that are impossible to face on our own so that we can learn dependence on God. Is that true for anyone here? We have to be Everything has to be stripped away. When we depend upon ourselves, we rely upon ourselves, it usually does not work out very well. So God says, depend upon me. And certainly that's what was happening in the early church. I'm going to digress for just a minute because I want to tell you a little bit about one of my favorite Christian heroes, Corey Ted Boom. Many of you have probably heard her name. She was an incredible Christian woman, a Dutch Christian woman who was single all of her life. She lived a life of tremendous service as she served not only her family, but her community, and most importantly, the Lord. Corey and her family took care of uh, handicapped people, orphans, anyone who had difficulty in their environment. And this was on top of Corey being the first woman watchmaker. So she has this incredible career going on. That maybe could have been enough for her. But no, she was doing all of these other wonderful things 
for God's glory. And then World War II broke out. And the Nazis, of course, the Germans were looking for all the Jews in Europe so that they could persecute them. And the Ten Booms took in Jews into their home. They, they built a little hiding place in their house. And thousands of Jews were able to stay alive because they fed them and they clothed them and then they provided shelter for a temporary time until they could get them to a safe place. Well, once they were discovered, once they were discovered, her whole family was arrested. They were arrested. Corey and her sister Betsy were taken to one of the worst concentration camps. And friends, I can tell you, the worst American prison, the worst American prison would look like a country club compared to what these people suffered. They were stripped naked, they were beaten, they were starved, and they were worked to death. And Corey Ten Boom is in this environment, in this darkness, and her sister is now dying in her arms just a few days before the war is over. And Corey Ten Boom says, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't add up. How, how do you say that when your sister's dying? How do you say that when you're covered in lice and, and everything's horrible? But she knew this big truth, that in the darkest place, in the darkest place, God is still light. She knew that. She knew that, and she saw in all of this mess going on in her life, she was able to pray with women. She was able to share the gospel that had been a part of her heart, her life, her outreach, her entire life. She never dreamt she would end up in such a dark place, but she did, and she shone God's light. So in that place of oppression, the message of God was still unstoppable. Corey's story then, friends, is one of the continuing stories of the unstoppable empowerment of God in obedient people. And we see that same thing in Acts. It's an unstoppable power following Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, Peter and the apostles went out with boldness. They're proclaiming this message in Jerusalem, as we saw in the video clip. Their words did not go unnoticed. Both political leaders and spiritual leaders wanted to kill the apostles. These were not vain or empty threats. They had the power to do this. And yet, as we saw among the Pharisees, there was a man, Gamaliel, who advocated on their behalf and used the wisdom of God and the wisdom of his life to say, I've seen a few of these things pop up before. I've seen a few of these religious movements pop up, and we can kill all of them, and it'll stop. But if it is of God, if it is of God, you're in trouble. Listen to what it says in Acts 5.38. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Isn't that the truth? Things come up, and they just go away. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And that speech changed the outcome. Instead of death, which seemed very sure, instead of death, these apostles were beaten and thrown into prison and were told they could not use the name of Jesus. 
Well, they had to endure the beating. They had to be thrown into prison, but they would not stop talking about Jesus. And here's the twist in this story that I think is important for us to get. Being beaten and thrown into prison is suffering, is it not? That is suffering. That is pain. And yet the apostles rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. That's incredible to think about, friends. They considered it a privilege to suffer. And they had set their focus on God, and this is what we need to do. They set their focus on God, seeing the greater picture of what was being done on earth. They could have complained. They could have gotten angry and even bitter, like, God, why would you let us be in this situation? They could have. But, you know, because of the oppression and because of what was happening to them, something much bigger was going on. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says, As a result of their obedience and boldness, the word of God spread. Think of that. This horrible thing is happening to them, but something good is coming out of it. The word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. When we are obedient, this is for us, when we are obedient, it is God who empowers us to be unstoppable. His message is unstoppable. And then finally, God will never fail us. Wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? That's a big statement. And I guess there are people who would argue from sunup to sundown that that is not a true statement. They would tell you of the many times God has failed them. In fact, they would have story after story. And I can tell you I can accept that someone would have that point of view. I understand that someone could have that point of view. I have chosen to believe that this is the truth, though. This is a theological pillar that God will never fail us. And we certainly see that in the early church, did we not? They believed that. No matter what was happening around them, they didn't believe that God would fail them. And they learned quickly not to rely on themselves, but that it, because in their own power, they could not start this church movement. In their own power, they could not do it. They needed the supernatural touch of God and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And among the apostles of the early church was a man named Stephen. He's described in Acts 6, 8 as a man full of God's grace and power. He served the people and performed many, many miracles. He preached with such authority under such an anointing of the Holy Spirit that when he shared, even those who were in opposition to him could not argue with him. He was that anointed of God. Well, he was bold, he was empowered, and he was doing God's work. But when the members of the Sanhedrin, when the members of the Sanhedrin actually heard him themselves, they became furious. A mob broke out. There was rage. They actually rushed him, drug him out to the edge of town, and stoned him. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing the work of God, being totally blessed in what you do, and then suddenly in an instant, just like that, in an instant, you're facing death. Acts chapter 7 tells us that Stephen was the first martyr for the gospel. And it says that Stephen, in the very act of being killed, 
looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, he went on to pray, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them, echoing the very words of Jesus from the cross when he was dying. So in the midst of being put to death, in the midst of dying, Stephen still had the story of God in his mind. Now, friends, that is a deep belief. That is a deep conviction. He chose to set his eyes on Jesus, and he released his murderers by forgiving them publicly, and then somehow he understood that even while he was dying, there was an opportunity for God's glory to be made known. I don't believe it was God's will that Stephen died that way. I don't believe it was God's will that he be killed. But God was able to use the story of Stephen to inspire others. One of the results of his death was that Christians scattered. So everything that we've been talking about so far, and it was all happening in Jerusalem among the Christians there. When this happened, when this man was killed publicly, the Christians, who had just been believers for a short time, they dispersed. They went, and they went to Samaria, and they went to Judea. They moved out and about, and in doing so, they fulfilled Christ's prophecy that this is what was going to happen, that the message was going to go forth, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea and Samaria, but to the uttermost parts of the world. And here is an important footnote to this story. The impact of Stephen's life did not end at his death. Acts 7 tells us that there was a young man there named Saul who was hanging out in the back holding the cloaks of the guys that were throwing the stones. Now, I say that because it's just so strange to me, but understand this was kind of entertainment back then, right? This was public entertainment. Someone's getting stoned on the edge of town. Oh, I want to go see. So here is Saul, and when he sees what's happening, he becomes passionate about making sure that these Christians are stopped. He does not want this church to grow. And so he becomes one who's out persecuting all these new Christians, traveling around, trying to find them. Saul is hunting them down. He became a Christian hunter. But that was not the ending that God wanted to write. He looked at Saul. Think of that. Except for God. He looked at Saul. He saw that sin. There was nothing hidden there. He saw his misguided passion. And he said, Saul, I love you. My son died for your sins. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And Saul became a Christian, friends. He became a Christian. His name was changed to Paul. He became a passionate, powerful leader in the Christian faith. And I love it that he wrote his experiences. He wrote about that work that was happening in early church. And two-thirds of the New Testament, written by Paul. His writings inspire and encourage Christians even today, all these centuries later. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? That is transformation. That is what our God does. So you see, I know that some would say the death of Stephen, that first martyr, represents failure somehow or a terrible ending. But those who see it from God's perspective see how God used it to bring about exponential growth, expansion, and influence of the early church. 
what seemed to be an impossible situation and an abrupt tragic ending became the beginning of new life and the pathway of salvation of countless souls, including mine and yours today. So as we close, friends, we, we have to understand we are living in difficult times. I know when we see what was happening to the first century church, that looks oppressive and difficult, and it truly was. But we are living in difficult times. You don't have to be a counselor to know that, right? We're living in tough times. We, where do we want to begin? Human trafficking? The suicide rate? Grief everywhere? Families disintegrating? Parents trying to raise their kids in a world gone mad? Where do we want to start? And you know, it's easy. It's very easy to become overwhelmed by this broken world. It's easy to make excuses, and it's easy to not do what we know we are called to do because of the challenges that come with our journey. Yet I also believe that this is the greatest hour for the church, for Christians worldwide. We were born for this moment to bring light and life to a broken world. This generation of the church has immense potential. Why? Well, because we serve a restoring, redeeming God. Because we serve a God of hope, a God of second, third, and fourth chances. Ever need one of those? That's the God we serve. He is a God of hope and of power to transform. And it's through a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, that our world can have light and can have life again. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us. We are the ones called to share that message of light and of hope. That is our job. Now, through the Holy Spirit, all things are possible, and all things work together for good because we are called by God to play our part. You're called to play a part in the salvation story. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So my prayer for you today is that you know that there is a plan for your life. That God's will, purpose, and destiny for you is unstoppable. And may we all, every one of us, may we all be like Stephen, full of grace and power as we live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the impossible to be unstoppable, and to know that God's love never fails. If you would, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, praise God. God is faithful, and you know, I know he has work he wants to do in your lives today. And I would like you just to stand with me. We are going to have um, a time of brief prayer here. And if you have situations in your life, it, it could be anything. It might be impossible. It could be a small burden. It, it does not matter. God cares about what is going on with you. And we have people over in our prayer room. Pastor Paul is here to lead anyone across the, the hall that would like to go and have prayer. Because God is faithful, friends. And we are also responsible for being obedient to him when he speaks to us. So I'm going to pray for everyone. Then we'll have some uh, song, and um, feel free to go across to the prayer room at that time. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you so very much uh, for the power and presence that you have each and every Sunday in this place. Lord, you are at work in conversations, in ministries, in the pulpit, in worship. Lord, you are at work bringing transformation about in so many lives, and we give you, God, all the glory for that. We thank you for the personal plan and the personal purpose that you have for each one that is here today. And Father, if they are facing something that feels too heavy, or is even just a matter of prayer, whatever it is, God, I pray that they would be obedient to go to prayer, to receive more of the Holy Spirit working in their life, and God, that you would fill them up and use them, God, for your glory, God, that they would be your instrument. We thank you again for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.